0: It's Tiffany Bobo. Welcome to this edition of What's Next on LinkedIn Live. And I have to tell you, couldn't be more thrilled to have Tracy Tudor on the show with me today. I feel like we are kindred spirits in the act of selling. So welcome to the show, Tracy.
1: Thanks for having me, Tiffany. This is fun. I love a
0: live. I know, me too. So if you don't know who Tracy is... She is a phenomenal realtor in uh, Beverly Hills, California. She's one of the stars of Million Dollar Listing LA and also a new bestselling author. Her book is coming out in a couple of weeks, but number one on Amazon. Fear is just a four letter word. So Tracy, let's start from the top. Yes. Like I feel like when you find something that you love to do, you know that that's what you should be doing. And so I know that you feel like you were meant to be selling and doing what
1: you're doing, but what got you here? Well, actually, interestingly enough, the real estate is something that I kind of grew up around just because my, my father was a, a big contractor in the public works sector. And I had a sister that was a talented interior designer, and then I married a contractor. So this is just all part of the environment that I was growing up in. But I didn't fall in love with real estate until i actually started doing it i didn't realize that you know the art of selling was something that i had in me until i was doing it um you know when i look back you know my first job was selling suits when i was 16 in the northridge mall and i should have known then that i had the skill set because i would work on commission and i would just sling suits all day long. And, you know, I ended up making a lot of money, but really I didn't get into it and realize that this was something that I loved until I started making money at it.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that what you said is this kind of commission only, because why I think it's so fantastic to have this conversation with you is so many salespeople, I'm just going to say it this way, kind of have the luxury of a paycheck and a commission check. And in real estate, it's like, you just, if you don't sell, you You don't earn. Yeah. And, you know, real estate uh, is one of those that I think it will be interesting to hear from you how you've managed the continuation of selling during this time, because real estate is a very personal touch, feel, see, meet relationship kind of business. So, you know, what did you do during this
1: time? I mean, it was tough. It was a transition for all of us, and it's not something that anyone's been through before. So it took a minute for everybody, I think, to adjust. And luckily, I'm light on my feet. And, you know, we've been able to figure it out in Los Angeles um, and how to continue working. And so it was a short period of time where, I mean, we were halted in all facets, and there was just nothing happening, no selling going on whatsoever. And then slowly but surely... Um, they started releasing restrictions and we were able to begin showing property again. And, and lucky for us, um, you know, in Los Angeles, just being the layout and the topography that it is, everything's a little bit more spread out. So it's not like selling, you know, apartments in Manhattan where you're going up an elevator and looking at, you know, 150 different people on your way up. So I think in the environment that we're in, we're, we have a little bit of a head start, if you will. What did, what
0: did you learn? What did you learn through this process of sort of 90 days of not being able to physically go? I mean, what what was surprising to you, you know, that you were able to, not only you, but your clients making the pivot as well? What what surprised you?
1: Um. Well, to be honest, I think it surprised me how many people were ready to come back into the market. You know, I think, in the beauty of this country is that we recover quickly and particularly California, you know, we've been through wildfires. We've been through hell and back and the last few years, definitely have been tough, but we seem to recover pretty quickly. And I think that's just the nature of the city that we live in. And fortunately um, sellers started calling us and saying, okay, when can we get back in the game again? And, and, you know, is it time and can we do virtual showings? And do you think that's beneficial? And the truth is, you know, the whole virtual world, world of selling real estate is only something that i think you know certain price points can do and i think it's really really challenging particularly you know when you're selling houses that are a million dollars and over to expect someone to spend their you know their the most of the money that they're going to spend on their greatest asset but not look at it in person (laughs) and that was something that i think affected everyone so there are always going to be people that need to sell their properties and there are always going to be buyers out there looking for a deal. So when you bring those two things together, it's, it's my job to be able to, you know, get everybody back on the same page. And fortunately, right before we were here, we were just on a listing appointment for a project in, in century city and they're getting ready to go. So it's, it's all systems go at this point. I'm grateful for it.
0: Well, there was a couple of statistics that came out around real estate saying, um, you know, that technology is now playing so much greater of a role. And two that they called out was one was drones, like homes that actually show pictures via drones and giving people sort of a visual from that viewpoint is very different than sort of pictures. The second thing they said was video you know, this kind of virtual reality or augmented reality sort of tour of homes. What's your feeling on drones and video for?
1: I mean, I use drones quite a bit in my business and particularly with larger scale properties where you really want to see how the house sits on the property and things of that nature. And we get pretty creative. I mean, I produced a movie for one of my listings that you'll see on the show this season. So we really go there. My opinion of VR at this point is it's just too expensive. And again, I think that there isn't a trusting, I I personally am not spending $50,000 on something that I can't see or touch or feel. And I just don't think that we as a community are ready for that yet. So, you know, until we are there, I think real estate is something that kind of will follow suit, but certainly not at the front end. It's not, it's not something that it's too important of an asset to, not see. And using virtual reality as a tool is maybe just that it's a tool. It's not the only way to sell the property. It's not necessarily the right way.
0: Yeah. And I think another thing too, is do you think that as more millennials start to enter the market that are sort of buying their first purchase, that they're more open to technology? So that may be where that demographic is really looking for
1: sales to get more creative. Definitely. I think that, you know, everybody. I mean, the bottom line is everybody starts their search online. So there is there. The digital world is obviously where we want to be right now. And that's definitely at the forefront of how we're advertising. But I mean, to take it that step further, yes. Will the millennials be more active in a market that maybe is more virtual, perhaps, but they're not there yet. And by the way, when they have to pull that first million dollars out of their pocket, they're going to be a little bit like, I don't really want to see it virtually. I want to walk through the door and touch it and feel it before I put my first million dollars that I've been saving um, down on a house or home yeah. or an apartment.
0: Yeah. And even if it's 50,000 or a hundred thousand, I mean, it's some, as you said, it's the biggest asset people will spend money on. It should be
1: weighed heavily. It's not something that is, the, is an investment that should be taken lightly.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and interesting that you said sort of marketing and people are already shopping online. And so in, In your industry, they say it's like three weeks of looking online before they reach out to someone like you, right? But I have spoken and been around a lot of realtors in the last couple of years, uh, and I constantly hear this. My client still wants me to put advertisement in newspaper, right?
1: Uh, Yeah. Right? Yeah, Yeah. That is a conversation that we do have in listing appointments more often than that. It's, I really feel like that conversation is a little dated. It was like two years ago. Um, And I think brokers are becoming more educated in how to talk to their clients about the world that we're living in, which I mean, unless you are, don't have a computer, it's like wake up and, and recognize that the LA times is not really where your property is going to be seen. So, um, Again, I think it comes down to brokers educating their clients about the world that we're living in now, how to market their property to the, the best they possibly can in the current environment that we're living in. Look, you
0: sell high price ticket items and, you know, negotiating, especially, you know, for any of you who watch the show, Million Dollar Listing on Bravo. Uh, Tracy is the first female woman, girl boss, leader, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call her, uh, to grace any of the shows. Um, And I find it really fascinating whenever I watch it, the difference in negotiating tactics that you have that have obviously served you well, because you do very, very well. Um, I often hear from now any industry sort of selling is they'll go, well, the reason I didn't sell that is the price was wrong. Like it was too expensive. And, you know, some sellers feel like price is always the default. Like I just going to lower the price that's going to get me the deal. And I think your master negotiation, what, what do you say to sellers out there that say, I always have to lower the price or that's the, my first go-to for negotiating?
1: I mean, I think any broker that's watching this will relate and understand that that's just a conversation that you have to have out of the gates, And it might lose you the listing, but I'll tell you what, Spending thousands of dollars marketing a property that's overpriced that is going to ultimately end up disappointing your client. Then they end up firing you four months, five months, six months down the road. They hire the next agent and then that agent gets the the ultimate price that the condo or the apartment or the house is going to sell for. So, you know, this is a conversation you have to have out of the gates. You need to be educated about the comps in your area and you need to understand how to talk to a client so that they trust you and look to you to price their home correctly. I mean, let's call a space, space Sellers always think their home is worth more than it is. All of them across the board, no matter, I've never come across a seller that's been like, Oh, Tracy, yeah, let's underprice it just to get the, the best price and sell it as quickly as possible. Doesn't happen. So, including me, by the way, I mean, I list my home on the show this season and you'll see that conversation coming up soon. I mean, I get it. I'm a seller too. We all have to wear that hat every once in a while. And so. You just have to be very, very good at your job and, and convince your clients that they need to trust you to get their home sold. And that obviously pricing is a huge piece of that. It's not all, you know, skill set and negotiation. Price is a huge factor, particularly in today's market. And so have you ever fired
0: clients, actually fired clients? Like, you know what? I may not be the realtor for you.
1: <sighs> I've had a few in my day, Tiff. not going to lie. Um, <laughs> You know, there's definitely been clients that have taken me on a ride and, you know, preview for the show this season. I probably have one of the most difficult clients in the history of my career on the show this season. So that's going to be, um, I think I'm going to be seeing it for the first time along with everybody else. So we'll see how that, how that all plays out. But it, it was, uh, you know, sometimes you get to the point where you say, and I talk about this in my book, you know, sometimes it's just not mentally healthy for you anymore to work with somebody. And you need to be able to judge at what point in your career are you comfortable enough? And being monetarily compensated is a big piece of that, right? So if you're able to, you know, get a million dollar commission on the line, you might be willing to take a little more shit from someone that is, you know, on the phone with you every day, just, you know, coming down on you so hard versus, you know, the smaller commission. It's just another zero. It's really another zero. And you have to work regardless. Like, you know, I'm going to guess. I
0: mean, yeah, right. I'm making a huge assumption here. It's like if it's a $100,000 house or a half a million dollar house or a $10 million
1: house, the effort you put in is the same. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, people always think, you know, I have clients that come to me. They're like, I mean, is this too small for you? Or is this listing not enough? And the truth is, I want listings from all price points, because the truth is there's going to be different markets that are going to shift. And I have to be willing to move in different directions. And right now we're in a, a crate living in a crazy pandemic. And I want to sell as much as I possibly can. I have a family to support. So, you know, being able to shift gears, I think is a big part of, you know, being successful in this business for as long as we have been. So I like a $500,000 condo. I'll take a million dollar listing. I'll take a $50 million listing. I'm going to put this amount of work into that million dollar condo because that's the one that's going to close.
0: Well, and real estate is all about reputation, right? I mean, sales is about reputation, but real estate for sure. And it's like a third of your business, you, you sort of the aggregate of realtors, you guys get your business from repeat clients. So that $50,000 first time home buyer or $100,000 or two hundred, dollars or $300,000 first time home buyer is may eventually be a million, $2 million, $3 million home buyer. And they know five people, right? So While it doesn't get, it's not as sexy, if you will, on the excitement ladder of, oh, this is a, you know, 50 or 10 or $20 million project. I mean, you're involved in a half a billion dollar project in Malibu right now. You're involved in projects in Dubai and Mexico and all countries, you know, so it has to be exciting for you. And so how do you maintain reputation and connection with people when they make a big purchase like this and they may not purchase from you again
1: for 10 years? Like people, well, I gotta be honest, Tiffany. There's some people I don't want to talk to ever again after I work. With them. But, you know, so really businesses come from referrals. So, I did start in this business 20 years ago, and I did sell anything and everything I could get my hands on. It's those relationships that I nurtured when I was hustling and doing everything I could. I didn't have a TV show. I didn't have anything, and I had to get out there and convince people to trust me with their greatest asset and. You know, whatever price point that was at, it's over the years that that referral source for me and just building that business has been everything. I don't do bus stop ads. I mean, now I do a bunch of different kinds of ads, but, you know, growing up and in this business, I never did any of that. It was all referral based. It was all relationships. And to me, it's always about the follow through and the follow up and making sure that you have systems in place so that you don't forget about anyone. You should be calling on their birthdays, their kids' birthdays. You should be checking in with them on their one-year anniversary of the sale of their home. There's all these different elements to just stay in touch that are personalized rather than sending, like, the annoying e-blast that everybody's getting right now from their local realtor, you know, about, you know, staying safe in COVID. It's like, get a little bit more creative. Connect with them on a human level. Well, the,
0: the first show of the season just aired last week, Uh, And what I loved about it was, you know, listen, if you're going to hustle and I I really want you to tell this story about the house that you were representing, because I think the story is really powerful at the moment. But you were trying to do it at a grassroots level. So you showed up at the Beverly Hills Art Show. I'm guessing (laughs) that's what it was. I'm guessing it was the Beverly Hills Art Show.
1: It was.
0: okay. so the Beverly Hills Art Show, because I could tell by the layout and then hot dogs and all.
1: (laughs) You were all in. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, I do, like I said, I'll do whatever it takes to sell a house, and particularly with Ishmael and Priscilla, they're just they were just good people. And when I find like good people that become clients of mine, I did, I just I will go above and beyond. Now, do I do that for every client? not necessarily, but in their case, they needed to sell the house in 30 days. They didn't want an open house. They wanted private showings only, and they had something very specific. So we had to shake it up and try things a little bit differently. And by the way, it worked. I, I was even a little hesitant, like, am I really, are we really meeting clients this way? But by the way, we not only met clients that way that ended up looking at the house, but some of the people that we met at that art show are now our clients.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the what I loved about it was it was you brought your team. It was teaching moment. It was hustle, right? It was yeah. unconventional. It was all those things. I think it was so rich with so many lessons. Like you're you're just never too big to like show up with a stack of business cards. And they weren't just any business cards, right? They were business cards with the address, right? And yeah. so you, it's the little things that you do. So for the sellers listening, I don't care what you're selling. It's like, How do you stand out? How do you raise above the noise? You know There are a lot of realtors in Los Angeles or in California in general. It's the largest real estate market in the country. Uh, It sells a lot of volume just by a number of realtors. And so rising above the noise, you've been masterful at social media as well. You've really embraced it. How has that changed over the years for you in that kind of unconventional marketing?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think every, back in the day, like when people were just starting to do blogs, and we and I was a part of a more boutique firm. We used to work at a company called Partners Trust, where we started like blogging, and it was so out of the norm of what we would do. <laughs> and I was the Brent, Brentwood Park Voice, and I would talk about Brentwood Park, and I I had a lot of opinions about Brentwood Park, and. And I would get either really positive or really negative feedback. And I remember I went to the head of the company at the time, Nick Siegel. And I was like, I'm so disappointed. Like I'm not getting anything back from these people other than totally negative or totally like nothing. And he's like, you don't want to ever not get anything. Like, you just don't want to be vanilla. If right. there's someone out there that dislikes you, And what you're having to say, that means there's going to be another person on the other end of the spectrum that's going to really appreciate what you're saying about Brentwood Park. So I think the same thing applies in social media. I think the more authentic you can be online and show a bit of your personality is a really great way to get people to look at houses. Listen, we tap all day long through likes and and a lot of it doesn't connect. And I think the best way that people can connect is getting a little bit more creative with it, you know, making sure you're in potentially the video that you are posting on social. Don't just do a new listing alert, swipe right and be done with it. Like right. get in there and get invested and you'll be surprised. The return can be actually really rewarding.
0: Well, I'm going to take that comment you just made and pivot to your book because I think uh, fear is going to release in a couple of weeks. As I said, it's number one on Amazon. So congratulations for new, for new releases. Um, But one of the things you say is sort of fear of walking in a room, right? And fear of doing the unknown and fearing of fear of maybe even being the only woman or fear in a, you know, a tight negotiation or a complex situation. What has been your journey on this? What compelled you to write the book and how have you overcome your own fear?
1: Well, I had an incredible platform being the only woman on a show on Bravo and also being in the business for 20 years. I had some experience under my belt. So I really wanted to share that because there were so many mistakes that I made along the way. And Those mistakes have turned into the reasons that I'm successful. So I really felt like for young women, especially today and and the the 20 somethings and and even up to the women that are my age that are trying to get (laughs) trying to get back into business and are scared and, you know, they can't do it anymore. They've been out of it for too long. I wanted to speak to those women because I think that, you know, That's what this book is about. It's about kind of embracing that fear and acknowledging it. And then me giving you tips and all the tools that I've used in my career to move through it.
0: So I, you know, I often used to get accused of being, mm, let's say, sure of myself.
1: (laughs) Confident, bitchy.
0: (laughs) So I said, you know, don't don't confuse my confidence with ego or cockiness. Mm-hmm. because I think there's a very fine line between being confident and then being bitchy about it. <laughs> right. And I say that is an endearing term. Um,
1: That's a big point that comes up on the show on, on some of the Facebook Groups and things all the time about me having, you know, a gigantic ego, and I'm just way over the top. And I'm like, have you seen my co- my castmates? Like, you know, we're all on a TV show together. But I think being a woman, there is a microscope on us, and and it's a real shame that you know, particularly on social media, um, how derogatory and unsupportive people can be of someone who is a single mom. Who is successful, who's on a TV show, who's writing a book, and you wanna tear me down because you think I'm overly confident? It's like, you know what I have to say to those people? Yeah.
0: No. <laughs> that, that was bleeped out. Bleep. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> kind of walking into a room, it's the same thing, right? So, not that you're gonna answer everybody on social media, but talk uh, just on the show when you are in those dynamics with very confident people who are on the show or even, you know, developers or even buyers, which, you know, they're in Los Angeles. I don't know how it is in the rest of the country, but it's like 65 or 67% of all realtors in in California are women. And they've been doing it, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So this has been a career that many women choose. Um, but the average realtor sells, I don't know, eight or nine houses a year. How
1: many do you sell? Just Unit wise, it varies year to year. I mean, I think last year we did we did a lot of high rise new developments. so probably north of fifty.
0: Right. I mean, that's a lot, right? And so yeah. and that's a lot of negotiation. That's a lot of interaction. And so, how have you dealt with when you walk in a room and you immediately feel like people are like either not going to take you seriously or they have that comment of oh, way too confident. I need to knock her down a rung or two. You know, well, what's your
1: I mean, I think it's important that you know what room you're walking into, know where the room is, know who's in it, do your research, understand who you're meeting with and do your diligence, like really look into people. You can tell a lot, but I mean... Google is our best friend, everyone. So you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their social media. You should know, are they married? Did they get a promotion at work? Like, where were? how many years were they at this particular job? Or, or, you know, how long have they lived in this house? Did they buy it when it was undone? And are they fixing it? I mean, there's a thousand questions that I ask myself before I walk into the room. And then by looking at them on social, I also figure out how I want to dress for that meeting so that feels appropriate. You know, what I'm going to wear for a couple that's maybe a young Hollywood couple that is looking for a house in the Hollywood Hills isn't going to be the same that I'm going to go out and meet a developer for a portfolio of half, you know, half a billion dollars. So it's just a different animal. And and you have to make sure you can make the adjustments so that when you walk into the room, you already feel like you're a little bit ahead of the game.
0: Yeah. It, so did you, do you think that, now you've been on the show. I think this is your third season. Is that right? Yeah. So from the first season to this season, what 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 do you think has changed? I don't mean, I don't, I mean, sort of in like, wow, I never would have thought this, or I really realized this about myself and it compelled you yeah. to write the book. Who knows?
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely the book was a huge moment for me. It was very cathartic, like walking through your success stories and all of your failures and sharing that with the world was a big thing for me. And, you know, I think that's the biggest aha moment being on this show and sort of, I mean, guys, I got a divorce on the show. It was not fun for me season one. And I think being a strong female and being a successful woman in business, I was, I was really beat down after that first season. I promised myself that I was going to come back the second season. I was going to be absolutely authentic to myself. I was not going to live to the haters and I was just going to do me. And when I did that and when I walked into different rooms and different environments that maybe either knew me from the show or or had some perception of what they thought that I was, I was 100% authentic to myself and I hope that makes me be able to put my head on the pillow at night and also I think it makes people feel a little more comfortable. I think when and there's different sort of things that I use to offset that as well that I've learned from being on the show. it's it's very easy to dismantle a client when you can actually watch footage of yourself talking to them, you know, and you know, I've gotten savvier and it's just the truth. I mean, if we could take cameras into every listing appointment we went on and then review them after or showings or a negotiation where that went wrong, we'd all be better agents. So. So like, you know, and I'm sure you have too. like, you know,
0: early in my career I did media training right? Because you had to be able to like say something in a sound bite of a minute. And so the right. media training, for those of you who have never done it, literally, they sit you in front of a camera, they ask you a series of questions, you're filmed, you answer, you go through media training, and then you do it again. And you watch the two and you're like, Oh, my God, I was so bad. Like, I just kind of threw up on the conversation. I don't know yeah. what i was talking about lost my train of thought. Second time really. So if you're willing to make the pivots and learn, you have to be open to learning and being open to change behavior, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you have to be a chameleon, and I think that there's a way to sort of remain authentic to yourself and who you are, which I believe I do, and then be able to walk into any room that you're in, meeting, business, you know, uh, interview, whatever it is, and be able to shift. And if you can't pivot, then you're in the you shouldn't be in real estate. Because the truth is, we're going to meet different people every single day. And if we can't figure out those personality types and how to adjust to each one of them, it's going to be a pretty miserable time.
0: Well, but I think it's not just real estate. I mean, if I said, you know what, Tracy, I'm going to do a little experiment. I'm going to follow you with a camera and we're going to sell cars. (laughs) We're going to sell, you know, whatever, ice cream. We're going to sell whatever you do just fine. Right. Because I think those skills of learning and listening and pivoting and confidence, you know, will serve you in anything that you do.
1: Yeah. I mean, not just even in sales, like you were mentioning, I think it, it really is in any business. And I think it's about, um, you know, it doesn't mean you don't put the hard work in. Like there's, there's th- this book that I wrote is really simplistic and kind of broken down into different chapters where I kind of attack what I think are the really important points, particularly for women in business. But, um, you know, beyond just that, it it is a bigger picture moment. And I think that, you know, most women, particularly coming into business, suffer from, you know, having to compete with men that maybe have more experience than, them or even women for that matter. And it's like, how do you shift? How do you become successful? It's the whole cart before the horse. Like you can't get the big listing until you have a big listing. So you can't, it took me a long time to sort of figure that piece out. And that's, I think probably one of the favorite things that I write about in the book is that shift between what happens first, the chicken or the egg and, um, I think it's very valuable. Like I just finished doing the audio piece of that book and I read it through, I think out loud for the first time. And I was like, ah, I wish I had, I wish I had really like gotten that at an earlier age. I wish someone would have told me that because it, it's, it's twofold.
0: Yeah. And, and I'd say, you know, so what, what would you say the sort of two or three things that you were really surprised at coming out of writing the book? Cause you know, when I wrote mine, I said the same thing you did in interviews. It was cathartic for me on many, many levels. I read my book cover to cover, word for word, to the audible book. I was like, oh, I learned a lot. Like you know, when it's <laughs> all yeah, should have uh, read that before. Oh, I wrote it. You know, kind of a thing. Um, But you know, what do you think the two or three things are that were like this is absolutely an aha moment
1: I mean, for me? I have a chapter called "Fight Like a Girl," and um. I think that's probably one of my favorite chapters. And it talks about, you know, sometimes the power of our voice and the power of our femininity we can use in ways that can shift an entire room. Men's instincts aren't, and God bless you all. And I thank God for you, but their instincts sometimes aren't as intuitive and as connected of an experience as a woman. It's just the way I feel. And so my, my, My gut in that chapter was really about talking about being able to utilize our sexual prowess, our energy, like, and everything that makes them very uncomfortable to our advantage. Why be frail and, you know, feminine and conservative when you can be? Empowered and like own the room and wear something that makes you feel fabulous, so that you have the confidence to stand next to somebody that's maybe been doing it longer, is more polished, makes more money than you. You want to be able to stand next to them and feel like they're equal, not feel like you're like climbing the ladder. And that that's uh, a skill. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I totally agree. And I think
0: uh, it's interesting to watch the dynamic when you start to find that superpower in yourself, like that I can show up and I can. I can hold my, my own in this conversation. I have value to add. I, you know, I bring something to the table and um, I, I can do this deal, you know, or I can win this contract or I can sell this house and right. if you don't believe in yourself. No one else is going to. So well,
1: And it's sometimes about speaking up and being very vocal and, you know, you don't want to get in a battle of words with me, but at other times it is about shifting the room and you can do that and I think women understand how to do that intuitively and they're not necessarily utilizing it. And it's by using humor. It can be sometimes, you know, making a derogatory statement about yourself. I mean, it's it's about, you know, embracing um, your femininity versus trying to hide it. Um, I, I don't like the whole fragile flower thing. You know, like I said, you know, on my Instagram, one of the memes is like, I'm, I'm fragile like a bomb, but you know, <laughs> I think that there's two different ways to go about that. And dissecting those is, is why Fight Like a Girl, I think, is one of my favorite, most interesting chapters. Well, in the uh, trailer for the next show, the clip of
0: you, the very last clip was, I don't lose. Right? So, Well, that's always true.
1: <laughs> I lose <laughs> sometimes, but I get over <laughs> it. But, you know, against that per- in that preview for that particular client, he was challenging me. A Very aggressive. I don't know. It was, it was, he was trying to push me off my balance. And so when he said, can you handle it? And and there was several things that he said to me throughout the course of the walkthrough that we do together. And it's at the end of that walkthrough that he, you know, makes that comment. And I just said, I, or I don't fail. I don't yeah. fail. I don't fail. Um, right. And that was really more to set him off and, you know, push him back a little bit because he was enjoying the process of kind of breaking me down.
0: And I wasn't going to let it happen. Isn't that fascinating? I find it fascinating. And it doesn't only happen with men. I mean, this is not a, it, it happens period. Like when people's, I feel like when they're threatened or they feel like, huh, you know, got their act together, going to come in here, going to do the job, try and knock them off their game a little bit. Some of it is because they're just being jerks. But some of it is also, how will you handle pushback from potential buyers or people who are going to spend this kind of money? They want to see you in action. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was about him wanting to see you in action.
1: (laughs) Ultimately, I think that's one of the reasons he loved me and hates me at the same time, because I will challenge him in ways that he is not accustomed to, but there is a mutual respect. Well at least in regards to those listings on how I relate to clients and how I, you know, I do think he was testing me that day. And, and I think it was to sort of see if, if I could handle it, if I could show that, that type of property into that caliber of a client. And it's kind of that confidence and sophistication that, you know, ultimately led me to, um, working with him. Yeah, and I think, it, it, I, you know, I'm so glad that this
0: book is out right now, sort of fear, because, it, you know, it is just a four-letter word. Uh, I think regardless of where anybody is in their career, everyone's a little scared of something or a lot scared of something. And, uh, you know, especially during this time, we've been, uh, you know, in lockdown for 90 days now here in California, and the rest of the world has started to open up. And, you know, not that I wanted to go back to the way it was. I hope we come out much stronger and better than we went into this whole thing. Um, But I I think, you know, for those of you who are looking for a great summer read, uh, please pre-order Fear for, uh, you know, all the things that Tracy can teach us about how to walk into a room and be confident and uh, own it, if you will, and not be afraid to fail. Because if you do, I'm guessing you've learned a ton from your failures.
1: Yeah. By the way, along the way, I wish I had a book like this when I was 25. I will say that.
0: So for those that are listening, what would be, I'm going to, we're going to wrap this up because this has just been fantastic. And as I said, we can just keep talking and then we don't care if it's live anymore. We're just going (laughs) to keep (laughs) chitter-chattering. Tracy has to get back to work. uh, So I want to be respectful of your time, but you know, what would be the, what would be the leaving words, the parting words for, you know, young women who are looking to get into business or young entrepreneurs, because you know, you were an individual contributor and now you're an entrepreneur, right? You are a, you have your own sort of team and you're managing people and it's very different than I'm responsible for me. Uh, And so what would be the few things you'd give people as the, as the ending of this great conversation, Tracy?
1: Um, I was saying this to someone yesterday about their small business that they've just started up. Uh, Someone had screwed up. Um, They had left their business with that person for a week and that uh, particular person failed them. And I said, you know, are you going to say anything about it? And he said, no, you know, I mean, mistakes happen. They're stupid. La la la. And I said, well, if you don't say what happened and you don't take ownership of your business and your ideas and your thoughts, then you're never going to expand. You're never going to own it. And so my, I think my biggest thing to say to people is trust your gut. If something doesn't sit right with you, like, say it out loud. Say it to someone that you trust implicitly. Don't say it to everyone because you don't need a thousand opinions, but say it to someone that you trust because the truth is, if you can't speak your mind, then you're never going to make it. Not You're not going to be successful in any business. You just have to learn how to, hmm, the best words that I can say is you have to learn how to figure out how to get in there with every single person and how to shift and move between them so that they understand where you're coming from.
0: Well, Tracy, I just want to thank you. Congratulations again on a great book. You want to hold it up? I, I okay. only have the digital version. There it is. Okay. So, and when, did, what day does it publish? Cause it's for sale um, now.
1: It is out uh, July 14th and available now on Amazon and a bunch of other websites, but Amazon's you know been great to us. So go buy it. Excellent. Well, thank you, Tracy,
0: for being an inspiration for, for all of us female sellers out there and for everybody in real estate and thank representing you. on a show, uh, Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles. And it's been a pleasure spending time with you. I hope you had as much fun as I did.
1: I did. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, Tracy, go back to work. That's Bye. the Bye. Go back to work.
1: <laughs> Bye,
0: Tracy.